Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Congressman Ro Khanna is with us. He is the vice chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. He represents the 17th District of California, the Silicon Valley area in the U.S. House of Representatives. His website is Khanna, K-H-A-N-N-A dot house dot gov. And his Twitter handle is Rep Ro Khanna. Congressman Khanna, welcome back. Great to have you with us. I'm wondering what's at the top of your mind today. You know, I was just reading today the article about how the Republicans are threatening to block either Warren or Sanders from uh, an administration. And I I really think we have to speak out and make sure that we push to have high-profile progressives in the cabinet. It would be a disaster if we allow a McConnell veto over any high-profile progressive as this cabinet takes place, because then it's forget getting a progressive agenda. You won't even get what Biden has committed to the task forces. So a lot of progressives are thinking about how do we make sure there is progressive representation in this administration? How do we do that? Well, I think we have to make two things clear. First, I think we have to make it clear that we have to take a fight to McConnell, that we can't compromise and accommodate before McConnell is forced to vote. And so I would say, with Sanders, take it to a vote. Uh, With Warren, take it to a vote. Force these people on the record to be breaking on all norms and rejecting qualified individuals and their colleagues. And same thing with our policies. Force McConnell to vote down a $15 minimum wage. Force him to vote down expansion of Medicare. Force him to vote down policies of higher infrastructure. And then what would be a mistake is to try to negotiate behind closed doors with McConnell and just take up things for votes which McConnell agrees to. I think we have to be bold and really present McConnell as the obstacle with the bully pulpit of the White House and the House leadership. You know, almost every day of the last eight or nine months of the Obama administration, I was hoping, wishing, waiting for uh, President Obama to come out and just absolutely daily scorch Mitch McConnell for not even holding a hearing. The senator's not even talking to Merrick Garland, his nominee for the Supreme Court. He didn't do that, though. I mean, you know, he just kind of let it happen. There were some protestations. I shouldn't, you know, make it sound like he was totally passive, but uh, it didn't work. I mean, how do you force... 
Mitch McConnell, unless Joe Biden is willing to go to the mat, you know, I can get it. If he was willing every day to, you know, hold a daily press conference and trash Mitch McConnell, the pressure might build to the point where he would crack. I think it would have had Obama done that. But, you know, how do you force him to have a vote? Or am I missing something here? You're exactly right. I think we need to have a daily press conference by President Biden and our House leadership. And we've got to take the fight to McConnell. You know, the Republicans are experts at villainizing people. And Democrats, we don't like to point out that there are actually villains in the story, that there are forces and people who are standing in the way of the progress of millions of Americans. I just think if we do not take the fight to McConnell on principled issues, then you're going to get an incrementalist policy. So people often ask me, they say, well, brother, the Senate it may be in Republican hands, and obviously we've got to fight for Georgia, but if we don't win the two seats and we only win one, what can you expect? I think there's a big difference between a administration and a Congress that fights with everything we have for progressive principles and builds support, and then if McConnell continues to resist, we've given it everything we had. I think very different than a concession and accommodation before we even uh, wage the fight. Yeah. Amen. Margaret in Claw, Washington, you're on the Earth, Congressman Kana. There's so many fires to put out. It's worse than just a national forest fire. But I wonder, is there any way at all that the finalization of the Electoral College can in any way, shape or form, screw this up at the last minute. We're all worried about what's going on right now and the people that are blocking everything. But the big coup is coming, and I don't totally understand it for some reason or another. I haven't got it completely through my brain. Help me. Tell me this can't possibly happen at the last second that the Electoral College can give this mess to Trump. I think you can be very confident it won't happen. I mean, the states all have laws that bind the state legislature to give their electoral college votes to the person who is certified and and has the certification. Now, technically, the state legislatures could convene and choose to disregard that law. And it would go up to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court could rule that the state legislatures have the constitutional power to disregard their state laws. I have not seen any indication from the state leaders that they are willing to take such an extreme measure. And I think it would probably cost the Republicans the state houses in places if they were to do that. If this were down to one state, I would be much more concerned. But the fact that you would need three states to do that seems very, very unlikely. And so I think it's something that we should be vigilant about, but not overly concerned about. I I don't know, Tom, if you have thoughts on it. I share your opinion. I do think, though, that Democrats need to start screaming about the Electoral College. Al Gore won the national vote by a half million votes. Hillary Clinton won it by three million votes. The nationalpopularvote.com compact is like really vital. And I realize we're not going to get a constitutional amendment through, but we need to start yelling about this, making it a huge issue, in my opinion. Your thoughts? Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, the, the fact that people are thinking this is a close election, I mean, Joe Biden, at, at the end of the day, when all the votes are counted, he may have a bigger win on the popular vote than Barack Obama did in 2012. And so this is not some close election in terms of the millions of difference that Biden is going to win by. And I think Democrats need to stop referring and the media needs to stop referring to it as the the popular vote and start calling it the national vote. Tom in North Hollywood, California, you're on the air with Congressman Kana. We, the people, are the government. And we must never, ever forget that. 
Um, I also want to say thank you to Devil Radio and the only progressive radio station in Wisconsin that I listen to. Well, my question to you is this. I don't understand how when we have H.R. 1 for the People Act of 2019, how it is that that's not brought out such as bullet points, such as a website that's called for the people act.gov or .com. Why it is that we don't message and why is it that we don't put things in simple language? We would have the votes from we the people if we actually, I guess, dumbed it down a little bit, but made it where it was more of a marketing thing. Can you answer to me why it is that whenever we have something that passes through Congress, that we're not setting this up almost like a marketing campaign? You're right. I mean, We the People has some very basic things in it. It says we should be protecting the right to vote so that the people can't be thrown off the voter rolls. It says that we want to give voters, make every voter a donor so that we democratize campaign finance reform. It says that we shouldn't be having uh, gerrymandering of, of districts. I think having four or five key points about the structural reforms that are in that bill that would make democracy more functional, whether you're a liberal, a progressive, or a conservative, it's just returning power to the people. I think that's a, a good idea, and I will suggest that to colleagues. Paul in Illinois, you are on the air with Congressman Kahn. Is there any way that we can get the information Trump and his cronies classified? Are they just right now kind of destroying all the evidence that would stop them being prosecuted? I mean, Trump and Barr and all the rest of his cronies, Nunes and all of those. Or are they just going to get away with the crimes they committed and destroy the evidence? I think it's a very good point. The destruction of property is a huge crime. But obviously, if they've committed crimes, there's nothing that would prevent them from committing future crimes. What we can do on the Oversight Committee is make it clear that we are requesting preservation of any documents and we'll continue to investigate it. And while Trump itself may be difficult to put in jail, cabinet members and those who are under Trump often suffer consequences. So I think it's a big risk for them to to continue to do that. Patrick in East Lansing, Michigan, you're on the air with Congressman Kana. I just wanted to ask you about your answer on the Electoral College, because I'm working with Democrats in the U.S. House who are caucusing and discussing this, and I'm aware that the leadership, Nancy Pelosi's team and Rosa Brooks at Georgetown Law, gained this out. So I want to question your answer and hope that you have a plan to answer what I think is the GOP strategy, because I took your answer to be different from what the constitutional scholars have told us is the law that Congress has the final answer and that the state legislators have the power to disregard under Article 2 the state and federal law requirements that they follow the popular vote. And Ed Foley at Ohio State has written this up in the Atlantic, and Larry Lessig at Harvard and Jeannie Gerson in the New Yorker. So I think we have a consensus on three points that I think you got wrong. Number one, the states do have laws but the state legislators are free to disregard them under Article 2, and that would simply trigger the governor or the state Supreme Court certifying the alternate slate, in this case Biden, who won the popular vote, and we'd have the competing slate of electors problem we had in 1876. Fast forward to Amendment 12, and it's clear 
that if they do get two or three states, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, or you could add either or of Georgia or Arizona, so we only need a few states where the Trump electors come into Congress, Jeannie Gerson and, and Larry Lessig and Ed Foley have made it absolutely clear that it's controlled by the language of Amendment 12. And the question is, in the language of Amendment 12, if there's no majority for any candidate to get to 270 electoral college votes, either because there's a competing slate of electors, as there was in 1876 with Florida. Patrick, you need to cut to the chase here. Cut to the chase is that if they vote by delegation, the Democrats have only 23 states and they lose and Trump has a path. And my question is, what is the House majority Democrats doing to win the procedural vote to follow the Electoral Count Act, which specifies a different procedure for resolving this problem? The Electoral Count Act, which was passed in 1887, was after the 1876 election, and that's what says that the deference of the electoral votes needs to go to the governor in the state, and most of these states have laws that require the state legislatures to follow the popular vote winner. Now, the state legislature could disregard that, and they could invoke their constitutional right to elect someone in disregard of the state law. I think given the statements of the state legislatures and those leaders, that's highly unlikely that they would actually do that. But if they do do that, and if they were to elect a Trump slate of electors, or if they were to say that our state shouldn't send in any electors to deprive Biden of the 270 count, then you would have a constitutional crisis that would be a fight in Congress. I don't want to alarm people, though, because I don't see that to be a likely scenario. But it is something that the speaker and others are aware of. What do you think about folks who are suggesting that this is just a dry run for 2024, where they get an actual competent neo-fascist, somebody like Tom Cotton, and, you know, it's a squeaker, more like 2016, and this would be the Republicans' plan B if they don't win the election? That we should do something that's to stop right. that from happening. I don't rule out Trump running again. I mean, I, I think he is setting this up in part to say that it was stolen, stolen from him, stolen from the Republicans. And they believe that that will help their base energize to try to fight back and take back the presidency in four years. So I definitely think that's part of their calculation. And I think it's part of why you have seen such reluctance from any Republicans to break from Trump. I mean, he's not going anywhere. Which highlights the importance of doing away with the Electoral College. George in Portland, Oregon, you're on the air with Congressman Khanna. I wanted to talk about the coup that's happening in real time here. You know, we've all, uh, for four years, we've been saying, oh, he'll never get away with that, or whatever it is that Donald Trump is trying. And from the mind of a simpleton who doesn't really know the system, and who certainly doesn't care about the system, it seems like he's got a coup planned, and Democrats are riding right along with it. How are we going to deal with that? We're opposing any effort for him to even go down that path. I mean, I was uh, pleased to see that the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff said that his allegiance is to the Constitution. And I think after December 8th, once we have the certification, there's going to be a lot more certainty. Dan in Charlotte, North Carolina, you are on the air with Congressman Connor. When Trump managed to get a lot of his department head picks past Congress by making them actings, if McConnell is fighting Biden on this, Biden should just turn around and do it back to him. I think it's a reasonable thing to explore. And I don't know the details of the law of how long you can serve in an acting role. 
it does diminish your effectiveness as a cabinet secretary in terms of the influence you have on both the civilians who are serving in the department and the seriousness by which you're taken on the Hill. So there is some loss in doing it. But if there's no other option, certainly I think that that avenue has to be explored. Joe in Cupertino, California, you are on the air with your congressman. Well, I wanted to congratulate Congressman Conn for a spectacular win in his district again. I just I haven't seen all the numbers yet, but I know it was a trouncing. I had a question about the spread of COVID-19, and I heard Elon Musk apparently is a tested positive and a negative, and he's using the reagent. The governor sealed the border saying if you're traveling back to California, you're supposed to self-quarantine for 14 days. I wondered if maybe we could do something to prevent the rate of spread by trying to restrict some of the travel. I know it's tough, but it's getting worse. But I just wanted to throw out real quick before I let you go. Tom had a guest on yesterday, and he said that Ralph Nader had a plan to try to take back the Senate. I thought it was wonderful. I wondered if Tom could explore this with uh, the Democratic governor and the Republican senator, the Democratic governors in North Carolina and in Pennsylvania, and the two Republican senators that we can afford not to lose any senators on our side to take back and post that before they decide. So Mitch has no say. It was very, very briefly that Biden should put Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania and Richard Burr of North Carolina in his cabinet in relatively, you know, non-destructive positions. Yeah, and that would, uh, right, both those states have Democratic governors. I think your point about what we can do, there's, there's some very simple things. I know it's, the mask wearing has gotten old, but the studies by the University of California, San Francisco, had two very interesting points. One, which most people know, that if you wear a mask, your chances of getting COVID are far lower. The second thing, which I didn't know, is that they found that if you wear a mask, you get such a low level of inoculum, even if you do get COVID, that the vast majority of people who got COVID while wearing masks were asymptomatic. I think just having a tone set by the new president about why wearing masks, forget the common good, why it's in people's self-interest, could make a difference. The second thing is these contact tracing apps that we have, which protect privacy, but actually would allow contact tracing. It's ironic that Apple and Google have come out with them, and they're being implemented in Germany and Ireland and and Japan and Korea, and no implementation here. And so we need a national plan for contact tracing. I think those two things would do a lot in helping us get the uh, pandemic under control. And what are your thoughts on uh, President Biden appointing a couple of Republicans to his cabinet to uh, decrease the level of them in the Senate? Well, I think it depends on who it is, and it's not a bad idea if uh, maybe we could put them in some role that is not consequential. But if, we, if it would really give us a Senate majority, I mean, that's frankly, that's the type of thing that the Republicans would do. So, I mean, having a Republican Senate majority is such an important thing that I would look at that if it could work. I imagine there'd be a lot of pressure on the Republican not to leave their seat. Yeah, I think it was Bill Clinton who put William Cohen in his cabinet, but it wasn't to flip the Senate. I, I think it was just he thought he was a good guy, but, you know, he was a Republican. Jeremiah in Coalport, Pennsylvania. You're on the air with Congressman Kana. In order to be able to redraw the maps, do we have to flip the gerrymandered districts and state houses? And number two, we know Republicans are going to be gerrymandering egregiously the states that they control. So should we not gerrymander the states that we control to balance out the gerrymandering that they're going to do? Very good questions. I mean, the uh, we don't have to flip the specific gerrymandered district, but we do need a majority in the state 
legislature. And unfortunately, we didn't get those majorities in the 2020 elections. And then in places where we have an advantage, like California, there is no gerrymandering. So I, for example, or state legislatures have absolutely no say in how those seats are drawn. It's an independent commission. Now, it turns out that the last time the independent commission drew the maps in states like California, it turned out to be very good for Democrats because competitive districts tend to be good for Democrats. And usually it's the highly partisan ones that are not. But it's a challenge for us. I mean, look, we're going to have a real fight to keep the House in two years. It's hard when you have an incumbent president, and it's going to be hard with the uh, gerrymandering that the Republicans are going to do, uh, given they're still controlling a lot of the state legislatures. Cliff in Santa Clarita, California. You're on the air with Congressman Khanna. Good morning, distinguished gentlemen. Representative Khanna, Trump throws something out ahead of time, like the elections are going to be rigged. Okay, he throws it out ahead of time. Tom just informed us recently that the Trump tax cuts are going to turn into tax increases for everyone that makes less than $70,000. I think that it's essential that we get that message out to the American people ahead of time, because if the tax increases go into people under 70000 you know 100% the right is going to blame Biden for it. So we need to get out ahead of them and let them know that the tax increases that they're going to experience are from Trump's tax cuts. What say you? Cliff, that's an excellent point. Frankly, we should have probably made that point in the debate leading up to the election. But certainly we should be looking at where tax increases are going to take place for working class and middle class families and get ahead of that. So I I appreciate you raising raising that. I hadn't thought about that. And it's something I'll take back to my colleagues. John in Monroe, Wisconsin, you're on the air with Congressman Connor. I was wondering what the chances of getting the HEROES Act back on the table would be and getting the president-elect on board to use the bully pulpit to help push it. And a particular shout-out to Mark Bocan, who is my senator, yay, Mark. And I'm hoping that the progressives can shame the Republicans and Mitch McConnell into moving forward. If you can get the American people aware of what's in the HEROES Act and use the media to essentially the country know what Democrats are trying to do for them and hopefully move it forward. Well, I appreciate you bringing that up. It's very timely because Speaker uh, Pelosi and Senator Schumer actually just announced that the HEROES Act will be our starting position. That's where we're going to negotiate from. That's what we're going to push. We're no longer going to start with the $1.82 trillion, $2.2 trillion that was being discussed prior to the election. Mark Boken, who is the chair of the Progressive Caucus, has been absolutely critical to the success of the HEROES Act and Progressive Priorities. So we're going to start from a bold position. That's great news. Congressman Ro Khanna is with us, vice chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. He represents Silicon Valley in California, the 17th district in the U.S. House of Representatives. His website, Khanna, K-H-A-N-N-A.house.gov. And you can tweet him at rep, as in representative, R-E-P, rep, Ro, R-O, Khanna, K-H-A-N-N-A, rep, Ro Khanna. It's talk media for the sane among us. The Tom Hartman Program, our national town hall meeting today with Congressman Ro Khanna. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity 
And what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Aura in Springfield, Massachusetts. Aura, you're on the air with Congressman Connor. I have been wondering about the 19th Amendment. People say we do not have the right to vote, and yet the verbiage of the 19th Amendment is that the right of citizens of the United States to vote shall not be abridged. On the basis of sex. Yeah. <laughs> My question is, the right to vote is specifically stated in the first paragraph. In terms of the need to uphold the right to vote as a key bedrock of our, our democracy and things that it shouldn't be infringed on, I think that's what you were driving at. I agree with you. I mean, I think the right to vote has been abridged in, in so many ways, whether that is throwing people off voter rolls, whether it is not having open enough polling places, whether it is systematically discriminating it because people's signatures aren't matching exactly what was on file. So the real scandal is how much our country is still infringing on the right to vote. Isn't it amazing that if Brian Kemp wanted to take away a Georgia citizen's gun, he'd have to go to court. If he wanted to take away, because we have gun rights, if he wanted to take away their house, he'd have to go to court because we have property rights. But if he wants to take away their right to vote, take them off the voting rolls, he could just do it. That's a great point. And, 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 you know, some people have proposed that we have a, a constitutional amendment explicitly, again, about a right to vote so that you have uh, the same type of scrutiny on it as we do on the other rights. But it is uh, really unconscionable what's happening in Georgia. I mean, if it weren't for Kemp, Biden would probably have been up on that state over at least over 100,000 votes. And that's a conservative estimate. Yeah. Amen. Scott in Ithaca, New York, you're on, on the air with Congressman Kana. We got a minute and 15 seconds. Okay, I'll try to sit this out really quickly. So is there a resolve in Congress, instead of doing one, two trillion dollar kind of, you know, reimbursements or whatever to the, that's not the right word, but to the American public, instead of doing that, we have a real problem with the schools. They don't have enough space in the schools to space the students out safely because of COVID. 
and we also have parents of some of those kids that are in the 5 to 13-year-old range, the, the parents of those kids, they can't get back to work. I have an initiative on Change.org to actually fund something like that at about $10 billion to basically fund more spaces outside of the school system using teachers, using tutors, and getting those parents back to work. And, I'm, and I've gotten some positive feedback on so it. So your question, Scott? getting ready to tweet it to you, too. Well, Scott, please send it to me. I mean, I think you're, you're right that we need to be funding the schools. We need to be mindful of parents and their need to return to work and, and the obligations that child-rearing place on them. So if there's a proposal you have and it's $10 billion, I'm happy to look at it. Richard in Pasadena, California. You're on the air with Congressman Kana. Yes, what I see is the way to do it, no oppression, no suppression, no purging, is make uh, the requirements U.S. citizenship, adult age, U.S. Social Security number, everybody in the nation is the same. It's perfect democracy at voting level. I mean, we have a, a, every citizen over 18, and I would say over 16, has the right to vote, I, I, and I, I, I agree with that. And I think that we, if you're saying that should we have some form of uh, automatic registration of voters, uh, uh, I, I would be for that, especially in terms of in high school at, at, at 16, if you uh, are a citizen and uh, you have the school uh, get people registered. Uh, but what, what the big problem is the intentional suppression of the vote, uh, and that's what we have to, to litigate, where you have people being thrown off roads and polling places closing. And that's where an absolute right to vote would solve that problem, right? That's right, right. And Jesse Jackson Jr. actually had this proposal for an amendment which would have a constitutional amendment for a right to vote. And people think, well, we already have that in the post-Civil War amendment. So that was simply based on slavery. We don't have a broader right to vote amendment to get that sort of scrutiny by the court. There you go. John, in Jeffersonville, Ohio, you're on the air with Congressman Connor. In my life experience, I've had some run-ins with viruses. I had the uh, HPV virus that gave me cancer. And on Monday, I have to go in and have to have I had 34 radiation treatments through my jaw. And on Monday, I have to have a section of my jaw removed and a piece of the bone in my back put in my jaw. Oh that my. was from a virus. And I had polio, and I was paralyzed for a year from my waist down. Uh, I'm the same age you are, Tom. Uh, and so with all of that's not counting the herpes virus. It was not genital. It was around the lips and stuff. I've had three viruses, and I'm telling you it's important. How can we get people to realize this stuff is serious? If I get this virus, I'm dead. I, I, and like I said, I can, my body won't withstand another hit. So that's my question for uh, the Congress. By the way, I love John, you guys. First of all, first of all, thank you for sharing uh, your story, and I admire your resilience and your perseverance uh, in the face of adversity. I think that is uh, uh, very courageous and admirable. Uh, and you're right. I mean, look, we don't know how serious COVID is. We don't know how serious it's going to be and the long-term implications for those who have uh, gotten it. We know it's deadly. We know that 240,000 Americans have died. But of the millions of people who have uh, the disease, uh, we don't know what the consequences years out are going to be. Uh, and that is why uh, having a precaution and not just rushing uh, to open things uh, or prioritizing short-term uh, gains at the expense of the public health is so important. And I fundamentally believe that's why Joe Biden won. I mean, the country wants 
sober, uh, wise leadership uh, that recognizes what a serious threat this is and not a bravado of inv- invincibility. Tim in Matawan, Michigan, you're on the air with Congressman Kana. Why is it during the campaign I heard nothing about the $1.1 trillion that the Republicans already took for their tax cut out of Social Security and Medicare? Tim, you're, you're right. I mean, they, sometimes the Democrats forget the basics, and the basics are they were already took money out of Social Security and Medicare with their tax cuts, and their plans, Trump's plans were uh, to submit budgets to bankrupt uh, Social Security and, and Medicare. Uh, and that is uh, something that the Republicans have always wanted to do, to take money out of Social Security and Medicare. Of course, it's not going to happen now. Uh, and what we need to do, if anything, is uh, expand Social Security and Medicare to have a, uh, a true uh, dignified retirement uh, for uh, people who have worked and to provide health care for everyone. Bob in Fresno, California. You're on the air with Congressman Kana. Hi, Congressman and Tom. Is there any appetite or talk about repealing the SALT provision of the 2017 tax cut bill that increased my taxes? There is. And what we say is people say, well, isn't that going to help people who are uh, middle class and upper middle class? And I say uh, the, the problem is that you have given tax cuts to the very, very wealthy to the huge corporations and to the wealthy uh, to tax people who are making between 100 and 200,000. And uh, while I have more sympathy for people who are making 40, 50, 60,000, uh, the idea that the bulk of the tax burden should fall on middle class and uh, families is wrong. I'd rather we have a wealth tax and I'd rather we have the upper income uh, taxed properly and corporations taxed properly to pay for revenue. So it is on the table. Laura in Chicago, you're on the air with Congressman Connor. Representative Kana, uh, the Trumpers are not going to go away. And I think the Democrats should defuse this situation by throwing them an olive branch. And that is a national, independent, multipartisan elections commission to look at, to start with H.R. 1 as a template and fill in the holes, because there were some holes in the H.R. 1. So uh, we could engage the Trump supporters in, you know, uh, reforming the system, and we could look at the entire system, how we vote, voter suppression, gerrymandering, the Electoral College, and have the experts, non-politician experts. Well, a suggestion. I mean, suddenly the Republicans are complaining that states do things differently after having proclaimed states' rights for the last 50 years. It's absurd that we don't have national standards in this country uh, safeguarding the right to vote. It's absurd that we allow every state to make their own idiosyncratic rules about when to count ballots, about who to have on rolls with absolutely no uh, national standards. So if the Republicans really want to talk about every vote counting and election uh, security and, and reforms, let's create a commission and establish national standards uh, for what it's going to be require for people to have full confidence in the system. Congressman Connor, thanks so much for dropping by. Always great having you thanks, on. Thanks, Tom. I always love doing the show. Thank you for having me. Congressman Mark Pocan is with us. He's the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, represents the 2nd District of Wisconsin in the U.S. House of Representatives. 
pocan.house.gov is his website, and Rep. Mark Pocan is his Twitter handle. Congressman, welcome back. I'm curious your thoughts on uh, the shakeups at the Pentagon. This is something that seems to have a lot of, you know, very serious people very concerned. You know, and Trump's ongoing refusal to concede, although I'm just curious your thoughts on that. And then, and then what else is, is on your mind here as, as, uh, as Joyce is lining up our callers for you? Sure. Uh, well, first of all, uh, good to be on and uh, appreciate it, Tom. You know, I, I already had a, a local reporter ask me a question. You know, to, people are worried that they think this is uh, some kind of a military attempt about the election. You know, my best guess from everything I'm hearing is this is Donald Trump being a petty loser. He doesn't like the current Secretary of Defense because he didn't do everything Donald Trump wanted, especially in maybe renaming some of the Confederate names that have been attached to some of the military bases. And it was just his way of saying, fine, I'm going to do what I want, putting someone else in there. So that's all we believe at this point. I mean, the good news is, poll this morning, 80% of the people believed Joe Biden won. Only 3% think that Donald Trump won. Apparently, those are all people in Washington, D.C., in the White House, the last name of Trump, except for maybe Mary. Um, But, you know, I think uh, real people get what's going on. And there's such a narrow path for him to do anything else. I think uh, we're in an okay place. And this is just Donald Trump going to be creating some mischief in the final days he's president. But, you know, this is certainly his prerogative. And uh, all we got to remember is Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are coming very soon. Does this substantially weaken our defense posture in the event that something were to blow up in Iran or the South China Sea or some uh, Venezuela or some other place we may not have anticipated? I actually worry more that he's not participating with the transition in general about those kind of things, um, even though Joe Biden clearly knows his way around the White House as the former vice president and you know, spending decades in Washington. There's a lot of staff that are going to be coming on board. And if they prolong this transition process and don't let people get some of the information they need to be ready on day one, then that could have a more severe impact. So that, that's my bigger concern as it relates to what you're talking about. But certainly having a new secretary of defense could also put you in some jeopardy should something happen. Yeah. You know, we're uh, just hoping that Donald Trump will soon do what everyone, every other president has done is understand you've lost an election by at least four and a half million votes and uh, by uh, a number of electoral college votes. And your job is to now be uh, a graceful loser and to uh, help in transition and really watching all of that because, you know, a lot of those positions are important. So progressives are, uh, you know, talking about people who could be in some of the cabinet positions, but also trying to get ready for the next session. We have the House, but not the Senate. And we have a narrower margin in the House. So, you know, uh, our work is going to really be, I think, in many ways as progressives working with the outside groups that we've always worked with, but to try to build that public support so that we can convince people to do the right thing in that governing moment. Yeah. Okay. Sounds like a plan. Let's pick up some phone calls here. Uh, let's start sure. out with David in Canterbury, Connecticut. David, you are on the air with Congressman Pocan. Congressman, a couple of quick things. Recently during the election, the moderate Democrats who lost the pointing the finger at the progressives. Could you talk about how that's going to affect the party going forward? And also, uh, if, we, if we don't flip the Senate in, in Georgia, you know, what, are our, what are our realistic prospects uh, of being able to... Uh, uh, govern in, in a more progressive way going forward. I'll get off the line. Thank you. Thank you, David. Sure. Uh, thank you. Those are great questions, David, to start the program out with. Um, 
You know, one, uh, let me just say, I mean, there were a few people early on who in the first 48 hours decided uh, that they know what happened in the election, um, including people who've only been in elected office for maybe two years and now think they have the, the better than a Ph.D. in political science. You know, I think what that showed many of us is people just. You know, we took that and we looked at them as maybe as less than great um, prognosticators, given that you know, I don't think anyone can credibly say in 48 or 72 hours what we exactly did wrong. You know, part of that is going to be doing focus groups, finding out why uh, more Republicans came out in some areas and why they voted the way they did and finding out why Democrats came out. Um, I, I think I can tell you anecdotally, uh, you know, in my district, for example, in Wisconsin, we got an additional 35, 40,000 votes for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and our state we won by a little over 20,000 you know um, there's a lot of ways you can win an election in various states but those were progressive voters without a doubt in my district because I got uh, almost 70 percent of the vote in the district so you know I I think the the best thing to do is to be scientific about it and I would love to see some focus groups and really looking at it but you know anyone who says it's because uh, the message was too progressive uh, you know Donna Shalaya will tell you no absolutely not that's not what happened in her district and others we've had on calls so you know I think um, the best thing we can do is do this with some real data and I've seen some real good data come out of some of the groups already on the left showing that you know the candidates who supported Medicare for all Medicare for all in swing seats didn't lose um, it was the ones who didn't uh, that didn't work now again that's not fully scientific yet but it does anecdotally tell you that you know people who maybe had more uh, confidence in themselves and their constituents uh, did a better job to so the second point it all is going to rest on Georgia and the Senate um, you know they now have 50 seats other Republicans with Alaska. So if we pick those two up, then uh, Kamala Harris has the deciding vote. But if you don't pick both of those up, we won't have the Senate, which will mean it's going to be much more difficult to get things done legislatively. Now, the good news is having the White House is enormous, right? Executive orders, rules, uh, things that agencies do. So there's a lot that can happen uh, regardless having the White House. But um, you're right, a lot rests uh, as far as legislative ability to move things on Georgia. Todd in Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. I am a truck driver and with Trump's taxes, it took away my ability to write off the per diem that was given to us at the time. Is that something that I can possibly look forward to coming back? That would greatly help. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Tom, I hear what you're saying. I I think the big question is going to be where are we going to be with the Senate? And, uh, you know, if Mitch McConnell is still the leader, is he going to replicate what he did the last two years, basically bury every bill that we send over there? So there's a lot of ifs right now. You know, unfortunately, because Mitch McConnell has been such a a terrible leader, it really is not moving anything, even his own agenda forward other than on judges. Um, You know, we've been at a place where, you know, you have a couple must-pass bills. People try to load them up like Christmas trees, and that's not a good process for democracy. So we'll have to see what happens. So I don't really have a good answer for you yet, Tom, other than a lot depends on what happens um, in early January in Georgia. That was part of Trump's giant tax cut, wasn't it? Yes. Basically sticking it to truck drivers. He's a lot of other people. people. Yeah. Yeah, The the other provision of that is is that anybody whose income is under $75,000 is going to start going up next year. Do you think they're going to grab hold of that and do something about it? Um, we'll see. I mean, you know, we knew that uh, 86% uh, of the money is going to the top 1% around now with those cuts. See if that impacts, you know, makes people get mad.
Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. John in Los Angeles, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Yeah, hi. About a month ago, somebody called in your show and he was mentioning that Portland, Seattle, and uh, New York were now declared to be Antifa jurisdictions. When he spoke to you, you didn't seem to sit, take that all that seriously, but he was stressing that they didn't care about Portland and Seattle. What they were really interested in was Cy Vance and the New York District Attorney's Office in Manhattan, which was gathering information on possible crimes by Trump. So it's a now that most everybody's forgotten about that, there's a possibility that uh, you may see guys in desert camouflage showing up in Manhattan to go to the to Cyvance's office, cart off all the evidence, and carry that away. And if that's just, if the evidence is destroyed, there is no crime that need that uh, needs to be pardoned. So that question is, where do things stand with that? Now it's got two months more to pull off something like that. You love surprises. And that would be certainly a surprise that would would change the uh, what's going on in the media for that day for sure. Yeah, I'll tell you, I, John, I agree with you on one thing. You know, Donald Trump is the ultimate drama queen, right? I mean, he is a reality show star uh, to his core. He loves to do things to, um, you know, create interest in what he's doing, whether they make sense or not. But I think if he did anything like that, that would really hurt the Republican Party significantly in Georgia uh, with elections. If you see a, a political party doing something like that, and I'm sure there would be a lot of pushback to moving uh, forward on that. So I think, you know, the real thing we got to watch in the coming days is at what point does, uh, you know, his family and others close to him, which again, I guess goes to his family, uh, tell him that it's just time to try to, even if he's not leaving gracefully, that he's going to be leaving. Jackie in Port Townsend, Washington, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Just a bit of good news. 90% of my county voted. My town went totally for Biden, including one precinct where Joe Biden got 304 votes and Trump got 22. But anyway, my question is, we know that legislation can be overturned by the Supreme Court and regulation can be reversed. And so the only way to assure progress is through constitutional amendments. And I'm remembering your House Joint Resolution 74 um, about voting 
uh, rights and putting it as an amendment. Um, do you think the time is right? And um, let's just do it. What do you think? Yeah, and, can, and, 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 and Congressman, can I add uh, just a point to that? Sure. Um, if the government, because the Supreme Court ruled that guns are a right, if the government wants to take away my gun, they have to go to court and prove their case. Uh, if they want to take away my home because property rights are rights, they have to go to court and prove their case. But if they want to take away my vote, they can just do that in the dark at night. If we make voting a right, they can't do that anymore. Your thoughts? Yeah. Uh, yeah, you're right. And Jackie's right. Uh, and that's why we introduced a, constitu- a constitutional amendment that uh, originally was Jesse Jackson Jr.'s constitutional amendment, just for the record, that would guarantee a right to vote because it is not implicit in the Constitution. It's inferred. Uh, we talk about uh, taking away someone's ability to vote, but we don't have that explicit right. And that puts the burden on the individual as opposed to the government taking that right away. Problem is, if the Senate's going to be Republican, Jackie, I don't think Mitch McConnell's going to care. Yeah, that's a tough one. Nathan, in Rice Lake, Wisconsin, you are on the air with Congressman Pocan. I'm kind of concerned about the real source of all this uh, disinformation. Fox News has been gaslighting people. And now they've got, you know, we've got a gaslighter in chief who, unfortunately, is responsible for the death of many people, including my uncle from Edgerton, Wisconsin, last week. He died from COVID. And we got to, I mean, how are we going to combat this gaslighting and this pure propaganda that we see on Fox News? And I get all these ads when I go on, like, YouTube and other sites for Trump. And I haven't voted Republican since I voted for Reagan when I was naive enough to believe the media was liberal. My question is, how are we going to hold Fox News and or so-called news accountable and limit their reach and start fighting back against this, you know, supposedly valid source of news when it's just absolute propaganda that's responsible for a lot of gaslighting and people's misinformation? Because it's it's better to be uninformed than misinformed because... You know, you see these studies where they show that Fox viewers are less likely to answer questions correctly than people that watch no news at all. I think it's a great question, and I think many of us are still trying to find an answer for it. First of all, I'm sorry to hear about your uncle. You know, I yesterday found out my 91-year-old mother uh, tested positive, and so far she's asymptomatic, and the test was from last Wednesday. So it's a good sign that it's been now seven days and she's still asymptomatic. But I drove her in a car Monday two hours with a mask on, but two hours to a nursing home in my county. So I'm now in quarantine, Tom, and uh, I'm going to be here for a little while while we're figuring things out. Your point is a really strong point, Nathan, the fact that, um, you know, we watch this misinformation out there and people paired it back. I see it on social media. Masks are such an easy thing to do, such an easy lift. There should be no snowflake that has a problem with wearing a mask if it means your uncle or my mother uh, doesn't wind up getting COVID and doesn't get sick and doesn't die. And yet they have this information somehow that it's not true because the president has really spread it. And Fox has been glad to put that misinformation out there all too often. And ironically, they may actually be in competition with Donald Trump in a few months. Um, So, you know, they may be paying their own price for that misinformation. But we do need to 
to talk about, you know, how we, we get a better grasp, I think, on media. And, you know, I know Tom has uh, often, um, you know, talked about this on the program, but we do need to have a better grasp because if people intentionally put false information out and that has a price, like right now with COVID with the surge, Wisconsin right now, we have a mid 30% positivity rate for people who are getting tested. Uh, and we've had over 7,000 cases on a number of days. But for 1.6% of the population, we're delivering sometimes four or five times as a percent of the population, the number of cases in the country. And yet, you know, we have people still not following the basic rules because of what's going on. So you're right. We need to figure this out. I wish I had a direct answer for you other than we absolutely need to make it so that we can't have people injured because media is not doing their job correctly. Keno in Lakeland, Florida. We just have a minute to the break. Keno, you got a quick one for Congressman Pocan? Yeah, I've applied to work in the Biden administration in the Office of Political Affairs, liaisons for the Republicans, since I am a Republican. What can we do to get Republican senators to support Biden? Ridicule and shame. They don't listen to reason. I have some ideas for ridicule that your screener said I shouldn't use on air. But uh, what can we do to (laughs) ridicule, shame, or persuade Republicans to work with the Biden administration? You know, honestly, I think the best thing that works with any elected official is you have a lot of people call that person up and express their opinion. And at some point, they have to see the numbers in their district and decide if they're still going to be sycophants or if they ever want to be reelected uh, or represent their constituents. So I still think the strongest power we all have is to reach out to your members of Congress and the Senate, uh, reach out to your state legislators on state issues and let your voices be known. Right. Yeah, there you go. Alfredo in Mountain View, California. You're on the air with Congressman Mark Pocan. Yeah, thank you for taking my call, Tom. Uh, Thank you, Congressman. I am literally freaking out about the Electoral College. Mitch McConnell has alluded that they will not recognize uh, Biden as a president and they're going to wait until December 14 and the Electoral College is decided. This is really freaking me out because it looks like the interpretation that they're getting is that the Electoral College could be decided by the loser here. So can you clarify this for me, please? Thanks. Yeah, I'm also curious, Congressman, if, if you have any thoughts on Georgia. Now, uh, Rafson Perger, the Secretary of State, says he's going to do a hand audit, which could take months for the entire state of Georgia, which might mean that Georgia can't certify their election, which might mean that that would throw the election to the House if I'm doing my electoral count right. What are your thoughts? Well, and there's a number of different things in different states that people are watching very closely for that. In Wisconsin, um, the legislature said they're going to do a thorough process, and there's a question of whether or not that would affect the dates of certifying the election. I think that happened in Michigan, but it also happened in North Carolina, where, you know, that wouldn't impact the Democrat because the uh, Democrat didn't win North Carolina. So, But we're not sure, and we're, like, trying to figure all this out right now. But the fact that George W. Bush and Mitt Romney and a number of senior Republican leaders are saying Joe Biden won and they're not uh, double downing on the rhetoric that Donald Trump is doing tells me that that is probably a very unlikely potential path for Donald Trump at this point. Donald Trump may still want to believe it because Donald Trump uh, isn't based in reality on things. But the fact that so many others, even if Mitch McConnell is still afraid of Donald Trump's lists and tweets uh, and they have to go into a Georgia election, you're seeing it from a number of other mainstream Republican leaders. So we're watching it um, very closely, including in my home state. But right now, I'm not convinced that there's a path for them to do that. That's reassuring. David in San Francisco, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. 
man, it's tough to hear about the congressman's mother and uh, his uh, health uh, with this uh, COVID. Uh, sure, wish you the best on that. Um, I was interested in the post office. Uh, the uh, you know, obviously, people have talked about the uh, the ballots that may be lost in the mail, but I'm thinking more about the economy. Uh, if you imagine so much of the economy is now mail-based, uh, and if the post office has been intentionally subverted, uh, the stock market numbers can't be real. And I'm, I'm wondering if there's going to be any studies of the effects of damaging the post office and the true value of the economy. David, you bring up a great point, and I hope, you know, one of the problems is uh, DeJoy will still be Postmaster General because he's appointed by the Board of Governors, and how we're going to be able to try to impact that to change things is really important. I can tell you, when I go to my rural communities in my district, Plain, Wisconsin, for example, population around 800 people, um, I heard from the Main Street businesses there that if they don't have the local post office and they don't have broadband, they're not in business. And most of those small rural communities have already lost their manufacturing sector decades ago because of trade. Uh, This is the last thing they have left for their agricultural economy and for their home-based businesses and the small businesses that are left in those communities. In fact, this is one of my uh, things I think, Tom, when you look at when we start doing some focus groups with voters, you know, they're blaming, I think, all too often brown and black-skinned people for what big corporations have done and sent their jobs overseas decades ago. But it's easier to understand that than maybe uh, global economy and, and trade and issues like that. So <clears throat> you're absolutely right. I mean, for small business owners, for small communities, the post office is essential. And if there are um, continued problems because you have someone who doesn't really believe in the post office running it, uh, it could have a lot of other impacts across the board. Troy in Janesville, Wisconsin, you are on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hi, Mark. Uh, congratulations on your reelection. Love what you do and what you do Thank for you. our country. I, I'm just trying to do some soul searching. Maybe Tom can help out too. I'm just trying to figure out why 71 million voters wanted a second term for Donald Trump. I mean, that's 11 million more voters uh, that he received this year than he did four years ago. I just and and it went up for women, especially Caucasian women. I'm just trying to understand. I mean, do the Democrats know, you know, what's causing these people to to go towards him? I mean, even though we've seen the horrific what he can do in four years, I'm just trying to understand, wrap my head around why people are still voting for him. I'm with you. I'm in the same place. Cannot understand the appeal other than, you know, for some folks who are just outright racist or who are just hardcore Republicans, no matter who runs, they're going to support the person. But that's a lot of votes for someone who uh, has handled COVID so awfully, who's done so many terrible things. And I think that's where we really have to do a very deep dive in doing focus groups and talking to these voters and finding out what it is that uh, created the appeal, what we need to do going forward. That's why I think it's dangerous when, you know, some elected officials have uh, pretended as if they already know exactly what happened and uh, they're not exactly doing it based on data or science. And that's dangerous. You know, they're trying to pit people within our party against each other rather than saying, no, look, we're going to figure this out, but we got to be smart about it and actually get the richness of detail that you're asking about and I'm asking about. So we really know uh, what it is that they found appealing in Donald Trump and what we're doing right and what we're doing wrong. So I think that's going to happen. In fact, I know that's going to happen. But uh, I'm with you. It, It was disheartening to see that many people still vote for someone 
like Donald Trump, I, I'm at a loss for understanding it. Brent, in Merrimack, New Hampshire, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Yes, I'm, I'm disturbed with the narrative that we've already conceded the Senate to Mitch McConnell. Last I knew, there were two Georgia runoff Senate seats that were available, which would, correct me if I'm wrong, get us to 50, and with uh, with Kamala Harris would get us over the top. So um, I'm a little disturbed by that, that narrative, and I'd like you to respond to that, please. No, you're exactly right, Brent. I mean, the thing is, though, there's going to be a special election on January 5th, and right now we're still trying to figure out what that election is going to look like, and they're going to try to do things to make it so that they can try to uh, steal those races, essentially, by not allowing people just to be able to freely vote um, like they just did in the presidential race. Uh, but you're absolutely right. Those two are, are coming up. And I think much of what Donald Trump does can affect it. I mean, if Donald Trump continues to go down like a sore loser and not accept that he's losing, that's not going to go well for the Republicans, I think, at the end of the day. So um, there is much involvement we have to have on those two Senate races. And uh, if they, they go right, um, then we have the deciding vote in the Senate. But right now, the Senate has 50 seats in the Republican column and 48, including people like Bernie Sanders and um, uh, in Maine, uh, Angus King. That's the reality of the numbers we have right now. And it will depend on how Georgia goes for the future of the Senate. Carolyn, Clinton, Illinois, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. I would like to know if anyone is concerned about the current Republican Party or Republican regime doing a coup on our government. Yeah, Carol, I think, you know, we've all been talking about it, trying to look at every way they could try to do something. I think the positive signs are you know, when George W. Bush, a former president, Mitt Romney, a lot of other uh, major elected Republicans are saying uh, Joe Biden's won accepting reality. Uh, that's important. Um, it's disappointing that Mitch McConnell and people like Ron Johnson from my state and others are still playing this sycophant to whatever Donald Trump needs game. But I think there's a very narrow path for him to try to do something. And it gets more narrow every single day. But I understand why people are nervous uh, there's very good reason to with this president. Looking forward, how should we be thinking about this next week until the next time we talk and going forward toward the uh, inauguration? Yeah, I think people just have to be vigilant. You know, we need you to act and reach out to your House members or senators because they're, they're trying something. We need people to be able to do that. We need to be just as ready as we were when we voted to make sure that there's not damage done or that there's an attempt to steal anything. Even though it's a narrow path, we have to be ready for everything. So people should just be watching that and reaching out to their senators and being heard. The more they hear from people in their districts, the harder it is for them to try to, to pull something. So be an active part of democracy by uh, reaching out to your elected officials often in the next couple months. And the best way to do that? Reach out to them uh, via phone, via email. You can write a personal letter, although it takes a long time given you know, screen things. Reach out to your members of the House and Senate. It's very important right now. Great. Thank you. Congressman Pocan, I wish you and your mother the very, very best. And please keep us up to date on that. And thank you again for being with us today. Of course. Thank you, Tom, as always.